Turn to Hebrews chapter 6, if you would, please. We're talking in our Bible study. I closed with a statement from Henry Mahan that declared that, you know, if, if you don't believe in your heart, fully believe, fully trust, that Jesus Christ has paid it all, that He has completely cleansed all the sins of His people, that He has freed us from the bondage of sin, we easily leave the door open for things as self-righteousness to creep in, things as free will, works religions. Our Lord assures us in His Word that when He hung on that cross, it is finished. I don't know why I'm not in Hebrews yet. It is finished. That's what He tells us. The perfect blood of God Almighty did exactly what it was purposed to do. That's where our assurance should be. Do we walk differently? You know, several folks. My good friend, a man I've worked with for many years, Will Wilkins, some of you have met him. He knows John Reeves before Christ called me out of darkness. He knows who John Reeves was. And we were talking a little bit about this over lunch with him and his wife, Gigi. You know, John, you're kind of the same, but there's something different about you. There's something different about you. And I thought, as I was putting together this message, I'm so thankful that he can't see my heart. I'm so thankful that he can't see what John Reeves sees. Because I don't think I've changed at all. Other than the fact that now I believe where I didn't believe before. To me, this flesh is the same thing as it was before. We were talking about this in Bible study. Do we desire to turn away from sin? Oh, absolutely I do now. I didn't have that desire before, so there's a difference. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Whatever it is he's talking about, I'm glad I see the real John Reeves in me, and I hope you see the real you in you. I hope you're not blinded by something you're doing. I hope I'm not blinded by something I'm doing because we can be blinded by our by our actions. We can, we, you know, I can tell you some pretty wild things that John used to be and how the difference is that he's not that anymore. But that doesn't, that doesn't do anything but point to what I have done. To point the difference in me. That doesn't do anything for you. The only thing that can help you is to look and see what Christ has done for you. And He assures us. Did you catch that word? Assures us. That if we are in Him, if we belong to Him, His blood accomplished what He went and shed it for. Let us rest in that. Let us put our hope in that. I pray the Lord will help me this morning to speak to you and that you may hear God's Word and walk away this morning with a sure hope. Not just a... Mm, mm. Am I sinned? Am I saved? Look what I do. 
Look what I think. Am I saved? No, I want you to walk away with this sure hope that Christ has paid it all. All to Him I owe. Don't measure my salvation by what you see in this flesh. Don't measure my salvation by what I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul didn't say, oh, wretched man that I was. He says, oh, wretched man that I am right now. Our Lord gives us a hope, but He gives it to us with a surety. It's not a hope in what you have done. It's a hope in what His Son has done. It's a hope in Christ Jesus. And I pray that He speaks to your heart this day and gives you that same hope. Look here at verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 6. The 19th verse of Hebrews chapter 6, we read these words, which hope we have as an anchor to the soul. Now picture that for a moment. We all know what an anchor is, right? You know, you, you drop an anchor down in the water and it holds that boat just as fast as can be. Winds may be blowing, the waves may be doing this, but that boat's going to hang on to where that anchor is holding on to the bottom. We have a hope as an anchor to our soul. Both sure and steadfast. It doesn't waver. Christ Jesus does not change. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. He's a steadfast rock for us for, for our anchor to hold on to. He's the anchor that holds us onto that rock. And anchored of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. It, it, that, very, that very anchor that we have, that very hope that is sure and steadfast is entered into within the veil, the holiest of holies. That which anchors our souls in this turbulent world is the blessed hope that we have in Christ Jesus alone. Causing us to look for mercy from our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Standing as it were upon the tiptoe of faith. Isn't that what it is? Isn't that where we put it all? We put it all in our faith in Him. We talked about this last week. We talked about it the week before. The, word, the, the, the subject of faith. It's a faith in Him. And it's a faith from Him. A gift that He has given us to believe Him. Here, God the Holy Spirit is telling us that the hope is both sure and is steadfast because it's all together in one person. Hear that again. It's in one person. If I have to do anything to add to that, I've blown that hope, that surety right out the window because I can't do anything as perfect as He did it. I can't do anything perfect at all. Everything our Lord has done was perfect and sure. And we can stand fast on that. He said it is finished. It is finished. We are assured of the hope of glory by Christ's entrance into glory. You see, death could not hold our Savior. When Christ went into the grave with all of our sins... Let me back up just a moment again. Did you notice... Did you ever notice that in the Scripture of 2 Corinthians 5.15 where it says, He made Him 
to be sin. Did you notice he didn't say sins? God made his son, he who knew no sin, to be sin for us. And we are assured of the hope of glory by Christ's entrance into the glory, his risen from the dead when he took all those sins into the grave, when he became sin for us, and he took the sin of his people into the grave and left it there, he arose from the grave and became and sat on his throne as the forerunner the forerunner of his people. Look over at verse 20 of that very same chapter. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Our Lord, after his resurrection from the dead, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, he ascended up into heaven and he entered into glory, not for himself, but for us. Not for us. He didn't sin. He didn't have to go back to heaven for you and I, or I mean for himself. He went back to heaven for you and I. Why? To make intercession for us. That's what it's telling us there. Whether for the forerunner is entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He entered into heaven as our forerunner. He took possession of it in our name. And he appears in the presence of God for us. That's what it says. Turn over to chapter 9 real quick and read with me verse 24. Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse 24 if you would. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. For us. Our Redeemer's representation of us in glory is so real it's such a real representation and it so absolutely secures our entrance into glory with Him that we are said to be already seated, already, right now, seated together with Him in heavenly places. Isn't that what we read in Ephesians chapter 2? Let me read it for you. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Our salvation is secure and assured in Him. And it's assured to us because He's sitting there right now assuring everything, making intercession for us. The prayers and the preparations of Christ for the future glory of His people assure us of the hope of glory. Our Savior has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us. Isn't that what we read in John 14, 2? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that His word? He says, in my Father's house are many mansions, abiding houses, places of wealth, places, places filled with peace and joy and happiness. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you. If heavenly glory were nothing but a dream, if it were nothing but a dream, he would, have, he would have told us that. But no, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Yes, all, our all-glorious Savior has gone to heaven, the Father's house, to prepare a place for us, his beloved friends. Folks, heavenly glory is a kingdom prepared for us from the foundation of the world. Christ was known as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Everything God has done from the beginning 
to right now until all the end is to save his people. He has been preparing, preparing the foundation before the foundation of the world in purpose and decree. He's prepared for us a Savior, a Savior who would commit a sin atoning death in our place. Yet doesn't it not require something more? Did it not require something more than just Christ going to the, to the cross? Absolutely it did. Fresh preparation by His bodily presence in heaven was also required. Christ, For Christ to make intercession for His elect, the blood atonement had to be accepted. Christ laid down His blood. He shed His blood for His people. God had to accept that. He had to accept that as, as a payment, as satisfaction for what you and I deserved. His wrath. He shed all of His wrath upon His Son. All of the wrath that you and I earned was laid upon Him. But if Christ had not arisen again, what proof would we have that God had accepted it? What proof? Our Lord's resurrection was proof of God's acceptance, acceptance, and Christ is there now preparing a place for chosen sinners. This is His particular business right now in heaven, making intercession for His people. Our high priest is making intercession to God the Father on our behalf, the behalf of His elect, the behalf of His redeemed people. I've redeemed them. They're mine. I paid the price. That one has no sin left in them. He's praying for the salvation of those who will yet to believe on Him. Look over at chapter 7 of Hebrews. Chapter 7, look with me at verses 19 and 20 through 25. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope. See there? There's that hope of surety. There's that sure hope, a better hope. As sinners, we know there's nothing we can hope in in this flesh. That's why we need a better hope. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope, by the which we draw nigh unto God, and as much as not without an oath, he was made priest. For those priests, speaking of the priests of the Old Testament, were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear, and I will not repent, thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. He's praying also for the sins of his erring people, that they might not be imputed to them. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. For if any man sin, we're talking about Christ making intercession for his people. He prays for those that, don't, that have not yet been brought to believe. He prays for those who err in their ways, those ch the children of him that err in the ways, my little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, ye have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we know it's not the whole world as far as all mankind. We know that according to God's word, it's all of his elect. All of those who were chosen throughout all time, throughout all the world, the whole elect, the whole church of God. He's praying for the spiritual unity of the church over in John 17, and I'll read this for you. John chapter 17, we read this, and you know the, the Lord's priestly prayer. He's praying to the Father. He says, Neither pray I for these alone, in verse 20, but for them also which shall believe on me through their words, speaking of those that he has left in the world. 
that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us. So our Lord is praying for us that we would be in Him, that we would be preserved in His Son. He's praying for the preservation of His elect, as we also read in John chapter 17. Again, I'll read for you. It's verse 15. It says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. He's preserving us. He prays to preserve you and I. He's interceding for you and I. That's He must be in heaven. He couldn't do that if He was still in the grave. This is our surety that God Himself sits on His throne making intercession for us. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Lord. He prays for the eternal happiness of all of His saints in heaven. Again, in John 17, we read in verse 24, Father, I will that they also, whom Thou hast given Me, be with Me where I am. Where is He at? He's on His throne in heaven. He's praying for our eternal, our eternal life right there. That they may be with Him right where He's at. That they may behold My glory which Thou hast given Me. When our place in heaven is perfectly prepared for us, and we for it, Christ will come and take us home to glory. Not a day sooner, and not a day later. It says here in John 14, 3, again, I'll let me read for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That's our Lord's promise to you and I. If He's going to go and prepare a place for us, He'll come again and make sure we get there. We were looking at Lot, who was dilly-dallying around on our Friday night Bible study. We considered Lot. He was... He was hanging out, doing whatever, instead of what he was told to do. He was told to get out of the city, and he didn't. The angels took him by his hand and took him out of, this, out of the city of Sodom. God will not leave us to ourselves. He will take us where He wants us. Praise for us. He prays that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Don Fortner wrote this. He says, Sickness is the voice of our beloved calling us home. Death is the car that He sends to carry us home. Our departed brothers and sisters in Christ, our friends, our companions in the kingdom of God are already there at home with Christ in the Father's house. The hope of glory is born in our souls by the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul admonishes Timothy. He says, lay hold on eternal life. Look for it. Expect it. Anticipate it and believe that he, that he would enter into it in the last moment. The basis for his ammunition was this. He said in 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, Whereunto thou art also called. That's the basis to look forward to it. That's our basis to set it on. We were called unto Christ. I didn't exercise my free will. Christ gave me a new will. My old will ran from God. Every child of God is brought to know that the will that we come into this world with is bound by sin. Therefore, it can do nothing but sin. Like Timothy, every believer has been called to an eternal life and glory in Christ. Therefore, we are exalted, we are exhorted to walk worthy of God who hath called us into his kingdom and glory. That's in 1 Thessalonians 2:12. We are assured that the God of all grace who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, as we read in 1 Peter 5.10, will bring us home 
safely to glory at last. Those whom he has called, he will also glorify. We are called to glory and we shall enter into glory by the grace of God. It says, he says, I will therefore take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord as long as I live. The hope of glory which we have in Christ is is a good and lively hope because we have the earnest of the Spirit. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have the earnest of the Spirit. The down payment, as you might say. In 2 Corinthians 5, 5, we read these words, Now he that hath wrought us, he that hath prepared us, for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, the down payment of the Spirit. He has sent the Spirit into our hearts. Let me read for you over in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. It goes right along with that. Chapter 1, verse 14. This in whom also this one whom we also trusted, that ye heard the word of truth through, the gospel of our salvation, in whom also that ye believed, were sealed with that <coughs> Holy Spirit of promise. This is the earnest of the Spirit, the one who seals the promise of God in our hearts the one who gives us the surety of his word being true, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit has been given to us in regeneration as the down payment, the earnest. It's our first installment of our inheritance of glory. We are sealed by him until the day of our full redemption until the day of our entrance into the everlasting glory. And our surely, and as surely as God has given us His Spirit, the earnest of it, of our inheritance, and regeneration, He will also give us the fullness of our inheritance. He's not just going to give you a little bit and say this, you know, never mind, you don't get the rest. We get everything. He gave, he gave His only begotten Son for us, folks. If He gave His only begotten Son, how shall He not give us everything else? How shall we not get the full inheritance? He's promised it to us. This is our surety. This is our hope. Folks, this is a hope that I need to hear about all the time because as I walk through this valley, the shadow of death, I've got these sins of this flesh always before me. Lord, help me to look to Him. Let me put my hope in Him. Let me put my hope in where He is right now. What He's done. Who He is. It is this hope of glory which we have in Christ that fills our hearts with desires to glorify Him. Don't you, don't you want to glorify the Lord? Don't you want to say, praise the Lord for being merciful to me? A sinner? Deserving your wrath? Yet God, you have taken my wrath upon your Son. Isn't that worth saying glory to God for? In Psalms 24 or 27.4, we read this. It says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. It is this tabernacle of flesh that we groan in, earnestly desiring to be clothed with the perfection of everlasting glory in the presence of our Savior. We pray that this mortality might be swallowed up and turned over to the life in Christ as we begin to understand and to grasp the glory that awaits us in heaven, we desire to part more and more, don't we? You talk with Pastor Gene. You talk with Brother Mike Loveless. Maybe even some of you here. Oh, how I wish 
The day was coming soon when the Lord would take me out of this world. Take me out of this world, Lord, so I can live the way I want to, praising my Savior all the day long. Paul writes it to the, writing to Philippians in verse chapter chapter one, verse twenty-three. He says it this way: He says, "For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. We choose rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord." than to go on in this weak, simple frame of flesh. Our hope of glory is a matter of unquestionable fact, plainly revealed in Holy Scripture, and as soon as we depart from this world, we shall be with Christ in glory. To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of our Lord. Those who die in Christ are truly blessed of God from that moment, from the moment of their death forever. John Gill wrote it this way. He says, The angels stand around by their dying beds waiting to do their office. And as soon as the soul is separated from the body, escort it through the regions of the air into heavenly bliss. Lazarus, as soon as he died, was carried into the angels, carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. We read that in Luke 16. In Luke 23, the thief hanging on, hanging on the cross next to our Lord, when he died, the Lord said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Folks, all who have died in faith, and there's a whole list of them there in Hebrews chapter 10, all who have died in faith, who have died in trust, who have died in belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, not, know, not just knowing about the Lord Jesus Christ, not just knowing of who He is, but knowing Him as your personal Savior. Christ is my personal Savior. He's my all in all. If he's not your all in all, he's not God at all. Not to you anyway. Those who have died in the faith of God are now in heaven. And if we are born of God, if we live by faith in Christ, as soon as we die, we shall be right there with him. My dear brother Bill is right there with him now. Therefore, those who die in faith die in happiness, knowing that they are... You know, I can just about picture Bill's face. I can just about picture. You wonder if he smiled? As he saw the gates of heaven opening up and leaving the body and going, I don't know what it's like. I like to imagine sometimes the beauty and the peace that we'll have as we leave this world behind and go to be with our Father. I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I know that Christ will be there, so it doesn't matter what anything else is. To be where Christ is, that's heaven. We are confident that as God has guided us in life, He will, at the end of life, receive us up into glory. Psalm 73, 24, we read this, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. There's a hymn that states these words. It says, Say, sinner, will you, will you meet me on Canaan's happy shore? And then it answers this way. It says, By the grace of God, I'll meet you on Canaan's happy shore. Can any sinner in this world be confident of such grace? Can I reasonably... Expect eternal life and glory with the Son of God? Can I be certain that Christ is in me, the hope of glory? Indeed, I can be. It is written, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Look with me, if you would, at four quick verses. Let's begin at Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, 
We begin at verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope. Our hope of the glory of God in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One more. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. And look with me at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of His glory of His inheritance and the saints. Now, turn over another book over past Philippians to Colossians and look at chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. One more, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. 1 Peter chapter 1. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world that was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Now, look at the front of your bulletins if you would. Hebrews chapter 10, we read in verses 21 through 22, and having an high priest, remember we talked about that, our hope, it's assured because we have a high priest in heaven making intercession for us. That's our assurance. It's not in something we do now that's different than what we did before. It's in our Savior. Having a high priest over the house of God, that's you and I, the church, God's people, the congregation. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Is my assurance in anything of this flesh? Does my walk with God give me any hope? I pray that it does not. <gasps> what? I pray that it does not. Why? You didn't want to see a change in your life? God tells us, folks, don't let your right hand, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Did I get that backwards? I got that backwards, yeah. Oh well, you understand the point. He tells us not to let the left know what the right is doing because the left will start bragging about it real quick. This flesh is weak. It doesn't take much for John to start putting his trust in something else. Thank God that he doesn't lead me to that and he brings me back. I stumble my foe, my toe and bring blood and scream and yell and ouch, that hurts. And crawl back to my Savior of whom there is only trust in Him. 
Does my walk with God give me any hope? I pray not. Philippians 3.3, we read this, For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. If your faith, if your assurance lies only in Christ and what He has done, then you will sing out the words to that song, Yes, by, grace, by the grace of God, I will meet you on the Canaan's happy shore. Amen.